Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today's mailbag episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You need energy efficiency when hosting a podcast, especially when it's at 1030 at night on a Sunday night. But you also need our energy efficiency if you want the most out of your windows and doors. And if you look at Pella's website, man, how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big time right there. For more information on how Pella can make your home more comfortable and energy efficient, check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my pals at Runza. We know about the amazing burgers and fries and all that stuff. We know about the, the cheese Runzas and how much I love them. But how about the salads? And they got a new salad on the menu right now that is back. And just when you think bacon is going to be the best part of this salad at Runza. Bam! You see it's top with Runza's homemade ranch dressing. Oh, man. You were so close, Bacon. You were so close. But you can't quite compete with Runza's made-from-scratch ranch. Maybe next time, Bacon. Maybe next time. Get to Runza and try the delicious chicken bacon ranch salad. Runza makes it all better. All right. Uh, like I said, it is uh, 10.36 p.m. On uh, Sunday night, April twenty fifth, got all the kiddos to bed. You know, got the got made Mava her little her 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 sandwich to go to school tomorrow. Got all the dishes, everything all taken care of, and it is mailbag time in my podcast room. I'm the only one still awake in my house. So, but it's just me. It's it's me and you and uh, your questions. I am. Uh, I, I, I we got a lot of good ones. I I couldn't get to them all, but we got a lot of really really good questions on Twitter and Facebook and on the email. Uh, reminder: you can email me Nick at nickbob.com. But let's start. Let's just get right into it, man. On Twitter, uh, at jbcoots3, quite the handle. He asked me, "Is Logan Smothers that bad at quarterback? Seemed like he was not well received." after the last open practice for Nebraska football. Okay. Um, I, th- I want you to think about this for a second. So all the way back in, gosh, this would have been 2004, I believe, 2004. In a practice or kind of a scrimmage at Kansas, my sophomore year, right before the season started, okay, we are preseason number one ranked team in the country. Number one. Not number two, not number three, not number 15. We are numero uno, number one. Number one team in the country, okay? And in this practice, in this scrimmage, in late October at Allen Fieldhouse, I had 31 points. I lit everyone's ass on fire that night. I was lighting everybody up. I was getting everybody work, ball screen, 25-foot threes, coming off a staggered, ripping a three, step-back threes. It didn't matter. I was a nine for 11 from three, just roasted everybody that night. I mean, I was giving it to everybody that night. Now, think about if that practice is open to the media and open to the fans. 
everyone's everyone is is thinking that I'm the second coming of Jeff Boshi, right? In the Kansas City Star, the Lawrence Journal World, it's like Nick Baugh, look look out. I basically didn't even play that whole year. Now, don't get me wrong. Coach Self told me I was going to play and that I, he, he didn't want to redshirt me. He thought I was going to be able to get some minutes, find a role or whatever. But I just, you know what? Like, I've been on this path of explaining stuff. I could never settle in and play consistent minutes. And ultimately, I found myself at the end of the bench. And the reason I tell that story isn't to say, hey, man, I had 31 in a scrimmage. No. The, re- the reason I tell that story is it's hard to take things to the bank in one practice. Again, you you would have if you would have been in Allen Fieldhouse that night, sitting and watching it, you would have thought I was one of the best players on the team, which I obviously wasn't. So with Logan Smothers, this is this is what is bad about open practices and swooping in for one day and trying to take things to the bank. I mean, hell, you could check in. For one day, and anyone can look great, like I did that day at Allen Fieldhouse before the before my sophomore year. But if that's true, the opposite can be true. You can swoop in one day, and anyone can struggle. Anyone can be off that day, not have a great day. I mean, we're all human, right? Like I'm sure you listening to this, whatever it is, like are you are you are you out of this world five star, amazing every single day in your job? You're in sales. You just you just crush every sales call, close every deal. No. So the same is true for for athletes. You have good days, you have bad days. Now, I I mean, this isn't necessarily to admit dismiss the idea of your first impression of a of a of a player, of of checking them out and all that stuff, and, and that doesn't have some validity to it. But I'm just here to tell you, I'm not taking anything concrete in terms of a narrative that somehow Logan Smothers isn't good or something like that. I'm not, I'm not doing that at all. So, I, I, I literally, I don't think of any. I, I basically, someone say, "Hey, what do you, what do you take away from the Smothers struggle?" I don't, nothing, literally nothing. That's how I'd answer that question. All right, next question. I'm going to combine kind of there's it's funny you do these and you get a lot of the same questions or kind of the same ones just worded a little different. I'm going to combine two questions here. It's kind of a two-parter. The first one is from former Nebraska wide receiver, my buddy Todd Peterson. Shouts out to Todd Peterson. I got to get you back on the pod, my man. But Todd Peterson writes, "I want to know your thoughts on Fred Hoiberg's incoming recruiting class and how long till some of these guys are making an impact for Nebraska ball." And then the second one is Kevin on Twitter says, "What can we expect from Husker basketball next season?" I'll touch on Todd Peterson's questions first about recruits. I'll be honest. I don't want to sit here and turn on the mic and act like I've watched every, like, I don't know a ton about a lot of these guys. Like I know a little bit about some of them, some more than others, but in reading that question, I thought, you know what? I need to holler at Matt Abdelmassi, the main recruiter for for Nebraska basketball, and get him back on the pot. He was on the pot a year ago. Uh, I need to get I need to holler at at, at Matt Abdelmassi and get him back on the pod to have him kind of deep dive some of these these guys and kind of talk about the season. Because again, I don't know a lot of these guys inside and out. Now, with that said, you you don't got to be a recruiting analyst to the umpteenth degree and study film for you know five months to know that. Five-star Bryce McGowan's is going to make a huge impact. He's the younger brother of Trey McGowan's. I mean, he's long. You watch him on tape. 
you know, Barrett Root has that line of some some recruits are three clippers. You watch three clips of them, you're like, yeah, that guy's good. You're like Zion. You watch three clips of Zion, you're like, that guy's good. I like that guy. That guy's really good. Just just use it. Watch watch the first, watch 30 seconds or a minute of Bryce McGowan's. You're like, oh, man, he can handle it. He's smooth. He can shoot it. He's long. He's going to make a huge impact. They also got a seven-footer, 6'11", seven-footer from Lithuania. Um, I think he's more of a – I think he's a project a little bit. Um, and I think he's kind of an insurance big man since he'll be – he's going to be behind Derek, Water, Derek Walker and Eduardo Andre. And you want to have that third big guy just in case things kind of go, you know – Things go haywire with injuries or something like that, and in a conference like the Big Ten, you better have the you know the dudes down low. Uh, so I think I, I don't I don't expect him to play a ton next year. They did get an, a, a transfer, C.J. Wilcher, Xavier transfer, and this is a guy that I've seen a pretty good amount. Uh, obviously, being in the Big East um, with Fox and calling a lot of their games, and the reality is, I do a lot of Creighton games. Duh. And then I do a lot of Xavier and Butler games. So anybody on Butler's team and Xavier's team, I know a lot about because I see them all the time. And CJ Wilcher is a guy, fairly highly ranked recruit, four star, four star by most outlets heading into the season. And, you know, it, it just didn't quite click for him at Xavier this year. I mean, he was, he was probably, I think he was, he was pretty much seventh this past year on Xavier's backcourt depth chart. I mean, he was like the seventh guard. Yeah, that's just, that's how it, it shook out. So, I mean, that doesn't mean he's a bad player, but I think that's something you got to think about when assessing him. You know, I hear some people like, man, he's going to come in and light it up. It's like, yeah, I mean, ma- maybe he could, right? But like, some, there's, there's, there's a reason why maybe guys aren't playing a ton. Now, I was told at the start of the season last year and all that stuff and just kind of covering the team and all that stuff with the Big East and, and Fox, I was told that, you know, Wilcher was a, a little behind in terms of decision-making and defensive IQ in terms of knowing assignments and coverages and, and all those sorts of things. Those, those were the main things that were holding him back. When I watch Wilcher play, he strikes me as a gunner. Like, in the limited minutes he got at Xavier, he came in gunning. Came in extremely aggressive. And I will say, I mean, he looks like a pretty capable shooter. He's got a good-looking stroke. He's conf- he's a confident player. But again, he, he struck me as a gunner. Like, I pulled up my notes on him, and the first thing I wrote was gunner. Like, watching film on him throughout the season. Like, when he came in... If he got a look, it was going up. So, you know, we'll see. On one hand, Nebraska needs more IQ and intelligence with decision-making on the floor. They lacked that, and unfortunately, I think Wiltshire maybe lacked a little bit of that too. But Nebraska also needs a guy that can legitimately shoot the three. Not in a drill, not at practice. Like, in a game, you get an open three, shit is bottom of the net. That, that's what Nebraska needs. And I think C.J. Wilcher has a chance to be, to, to be good in that department. Now, I, I don't know a lot about, there's a, there's a, a, a Breidenbach kid, 6'9 forward out of California, pretty highly regarded. But again, I, don't, I, need, to, I need to holler at my boy Matt Abdelmassi on that one. And then speaking of shooting, the, the final recruit on, uh, of the class is the Japanese Steph Curry, baby. 
Kisi Tomenaga. I hope I got that right. Kisi Tomenaga. He's a 6'2 junior college sharpshooter, and his nickname tells you all you need to know. He's a Japanese Steph Curry. He's, he's billed as an elite three-point shooter, which, again, Nebraska needs really, really bad. If Tomenaga can legitimately knock down shots, he's got to play. Same thing with C.J. Wilcher. Same thing with C.J. Wilcher. So, you know, in, in answering Todd's questions, I think Bryce McGowan is going to start. I mean, he's a five-star. I think Bryce McGowan's going to start. And then if Wilcher and Tomenaga can consistently knock down threes, they're going to be on the floor. They're, they're, they just are. As far as expectations to Kevin's questions, I mean, God, I don't. It's NIT. I, it feels like too much to sit there and be like, they're going to NCAA tournament. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't see that. I, I don't. I, I, I can't. I can't turn on the pod and, and, and the mic here and on this pod and tell you I think NCAA tournament. A, NIT, which is a, a lot of progress, right? It's still hard. I'm still a little. What's the word? I'm a little. I'm a little hesitant. I'm a little lukewarm on Nebraska still right now, mainly because they, they still to me and and this is Fred Hoiberg's prerogative, but he was asked kind of about like still trying to go out there and get a point guard because Wilcher isn't a point guard. He's an he's a shooting guard. And I think at this point they're kind of like Hoiberg has said that they're going to kind of ride with who they got. And I mean, to me, until they have a consistent, a legitimate. Big time elite point guard, and until they can prove throughout the course of a season that they can can consistently make threes, it's it's hard. They still have a lot to prove, and the, and it's hard for me to back them with any sort of lofty expectations. Now again, Bryce McGowan's is going to help because he's so talented, but what's hard is unfortunately it looks like his skill set is kind of what Nebraska already has. He's kind of a long wing slasher scorer which is kind of what Trey McGowan's is, kind of what Delano Banton is. Now, I, th- I think they'll be better because they're adding a five-star, extremely talented player in Bryce McGowan's. But I also think this is going to be huge. Finally, the other reason I think they'll be better is they finally have some shred of continuity. I mean, the first two seasons, it has been everybody's got to wear name tags every day. I mean, literally brand new roster, two straight seasons. They have no continuity. Basketball is a chemistry sport. They had none of it, and you could see it. I mean, and and, and Hoiberg would would talk to – he told to the media, he'd tell it to me when I talked to – you know, like they had a hard time fighting adversity in a game. Like when, when it would go south, they had a hard time changing it. And I think a lot of that comes back to chemistry and trust, shared experiences, going through wars together. They, they hadn't gone through anything together. But they finally got a little continuity. And Kobe Webster, Delano Banton, Derek Walker, Eduardo Andre, Dre McGowan's, Lapman, all those guys are back, right? And Which makes a big, big difference. Big, big difference. But I got to see it first. I got to see it first. Trevor writes in, uh, he says, Nick, am I crazy to think that short of an absolute catastrophe, catastrophe the next few seasons say like two to three wins that Scott Frost should be given eight to ten years to build this program build back this program considering all the demolishing it had taken the last 20 years prior to his return I mean if he isn't the guy Trevor I'm right there with you man I'm right there with you now I'm glad you kind of put in there the absolute catastrophe because everything has a breaking point right like 
Everything has a breaking point. I mean, if it, unless it's just a total, if it's just catastrophically bad the next year and the year after that or whatever, unless it's just a catastrophe, you got to give, I think you got to stick with Frost. I really, really do. And the good, the good thing about it, you know, if it's a catastrophe, then it's obvious. Like, then it's obvious. Like, let's be honest, in 2017, Riley's last year, it was it just became obvious, like, yeah, this guy's got to go. This guy's just, this isn't good. I, I personally don't think it's going to be like that. But for the sake of the argument, you got to lay it out like that. you got to preface everything with, obviously, everything has a breaking point. But I'm with I'm with Trevor in that like I've said this before and it's not a new thought, but you gotta keep on saying it to yourself because sometimes history has a way of repeating itself, and if you don't learn from it, you're you're doomed to repeat it again, right? Like Nebraska has to get off of this higher fire, higher fire cycle. This hire a guy, fire a guy, hire a guy, fire a guy. They have to get off this cycle. They just, they just have to. And I get the easy, fun thing to write about on Twitter, read about in the paper, talk about on Sports Talk Radio, talk about on a podcast. Is it's just the easy? Just fire him, fire him. Who's oh, who would be the new coach? It's just at some point, at some point, Nebraska got to get off that train. They just have to. I mean, they basically had what five coaches in the past 15, 16 years. Not to mention four to five different ads, changes at the top of the university, and so many coordinator changes. I don't even, I can't even count. I've lost count. At some point, it's got to stop. And, you know, I probably don't say this enough. I I really, really sincerely believe Scott Frost can get it done here at Nebraska. I really do. Now, I, I can say that and also acknowledge that I've been wildly disappointed in the first three seasons. Just like a lot of you probably are. I mean, I've been really disappointed in the lack of discipline, the offensive regression, whiffing at the running back spot and the wide receiver spot, the special teams play, good golly. I think situational coaching in big spots has left a lot to be desired. So listen, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, it's, I've been disappointed, right? But I think in spite of all that, Nebraska's been been right there with a lot of teams. They aren't getting just boat raced like Bo Pelini did and Mike Riley did. I have been impressed with the the defensive improvement and the strides on that side of the ball. Like to me, Nebraska's got a shot to have a top twenty defense next year, in my opinion. Top twenty, top twenty five defense. And then I I think the strength and conditioning, in terms of improving the trenches, the offensive and defensive lines, and the overall physicality of the team has greatly improved. Don't have revisionist history in what things looked like in the trenches and in terms of Nebraska's physicality before Frost took over. So, and, and you know, I said this to Sip, to Steve Sipple in my last podcast, which, by the way, you need, if you haven't listened to it, you got to go check it out. Sip was money like he always was. It's on the podcast feed. He was great. He tells an unbelievable Bo Pelini story that you got to go check it out. But I said this to Sip in my last pod. You know, in terms of my synopsis, when people hey, what's what's happened? Like, I think I think Scott Frost came came here, came to Nebraska, confident in himself, extremely confident in himself, and extremely confident in his system. And why wouldn't he be? I mean, the dude was undefeated coach of the year at at UCF. He could have gone to Florida. He could have gone to Florida State. Like, y'all get that right? Like, he could have gone anywhere. 
He was the hottest coach in the country. He was the offensive coordinator calling plays at Oregon when they are lighting everyone up. So, yeah, he was confident. Yeah, he believed in his system. Why wouldn't he? All he's experienced is incredible amounts of success running that system and being who he is. But all of a sudden, he got to Nebraska and a few things a few things happened. All of a sudden, he didn't have didn't fully have the explosive playmakers at key spots. That's number one. He was in a in a league that was way different than the Pac-12 and the AAC. And then because of those two things, all the little details become a big deal when you're not hanging 45 a game on people. So special teams, penalties, situational football, all those things become magnified when you aren't super-duper explosive on offense like they were at Oregon and like they were at Central Florida. You could survive a false start to make it first and 15 when Adrian Killens takes it 80 yards to the house. You can survive bad field position when you score 50 a game. You can't survive a bunch of penalties and poor discipline and bad field position and bad special teams and bad situational play calling at times in big spots when when you aren't hanging 45 a game and you don't have that, that explosive dynamic player that can just take it 80 to the house. Have a big-time wide receiver win one-on-one and have a 75-yard touchdown bomb. It's all of a sudden... Like, all those things, I bet all those things with some of the details and all those stuff lacked a little bit at Oregon and lacked a little bit of at Central Florida, but it gets it gets over, it. it's not as big of a deal because you're hanging 45 a game. Not to mention that, you know, the lack of confidence this team and this program had and how that kind of mounted when the losses mounted. So it all just kind of like, it's kind of snowballed, right? It's like, I don't know, it's one of those things like, did Frost, does Frost offense not work or did Frost forget how to coach or did he just, all of a sudden he doesn't have the explosive guys at one running back and wide receiver and the league he's in is way different than the Pac-12 and the AAC. Like, I happen to think it's the latter. So, you know, I think he's learning and growing as a young coach. And I think he's going to get a lot of this stuff tightened up. I really believe that. Both in terms of the details and in terms of getting the right pieces in place at wide receiver, running back, all that kind of stuff. Now, listen, I don't want to be disingenuous and lose credibility and have you guys just eye-rolling me the whole time you're listening to this and tell you that everything is great and that, you know, Frost is the greatest thing ever and all this stuff when when the guy is 12 and 20 in three seasons at Nebraska, right? Like, let's not, let's let's call it like it is. And I, I mean... Listen, this I'm calling it like it is. But I just I believe I think he can get it done. I really do. And I also think Nebraska has to get off this this cycle of higher fire, higher fire, higher fire, higher fire. He's got to get off that cycle. So I'm with you, Trevor. I think barring a, a catastrophe the next season or two, Frost, you he's got to stick around for a while. He just has to. He just flat out has to. 
uh, uh, let's go to Twitter for the next question. At MVP Pat, uh, he says, favorite Major League Baseball team growing up. And then he asks, do you remember the Sosa McGuire Summers? Now, for me, I didn't have a favorite Major League Baseball team. I like playing baseball, but never really, I've never really enjoyed watching baseball. Um, and then with obviously without an, a Major League Baseball team in Nebraska, it just kind of never took hold of me. I'd imagine if I grew up in Minneapolis, I'd love the Twins. If I grew up in Kansas City, I'd love the Royals. Or if I grew up in, you know, Southie, I'd love the, the, the Sox, Noma, parking lot. But, I mean, I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, so I love Nebraska football, right? So it just never kind of took hold of me, but I definitely remember the Sosa McGuire home run race. Like, that was the most locked into baseball I ever was in terms of watching it. I'm sure you guys are just like, I mean, that shit would, every day it was like you were tracking it. Okay, Sosa hit another one, McGuire hit another one. It was nuts. And that that home run race has one one of my greatest sports memories and one of my greatest memories of my dad I've ever had. I was at the game in St. Louis, third baseline, when Mark McGuire hit his 61st and 62nd home run to break the record. I was there. I was in the ballpark with my dad. Like, almost out of a movie, a father-son moment. Like, right, you think of baseball, you think of like a father and a son at a game. Like, that's what it was. Third baseline, it was incredible. 60, if you remember, his 61st home run was a bomb. Just, just annihilated it. 62 was like a line drive down the, the like down the third baseline that barely got over the fence. You didn't know if it was foul or not. It was really awkward. But I was there with my dad. So I was into the race. So it was crazy. Like we were totally into the into tracking this home run race between the two. And then I was there. Remember they're playing the Cubs, Sammy Sosa. It was crazy. It was one of the best, the best. Sports memories I have in terms of being at a, a sporting event, and then it was one of my favorite memories with my dad. So, yeah, MVP Pat. I remember the Sosa McGuire Summers. Hell yeah, I do. Uh, Brendan asks, uh, Nick, off the top of your head, quick starting five next year for Creighton. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, obviously, Creighton loses their entire starting five. Creighton still got some scholarships to to give, and I think they'll get out. And you know, they're probably gonna, they're 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 gonna I think land an impact transfer or two. Uh, so wh- whoever fills those roles of impact traver, uh, transfers, I know they're in on CJ Frederick, for instance, the Iowa transfer, just to name a guy. Like I, I think whoever fills those roles, I think maybe got a great chance to come in and start. Um, but you know, listen, there's a bunch of unknowns in terms of the incoming freshmen and how they'll fit in. Uh, and the, people got to remember, there's two foreign kids, Modestus Cancellaris and Rati Androvichli. I, I got to get that right before he gets on the, the court. But Cancellaris and I call him Rati. I just want to call that. Both those guys tore their ACLs before the start of last year. And I was told, according to my sources, that Rati was, was actually playing well in practice and was likely going to get minutes before he got hurt. So he's a guy I'd keep, I'd keep an eye on. But you know you gotta you gotta uh, they're bringing in a really good shooter who's going to be an incoming freshman. You got Nemhard's little brother, Andrew Nemhard's little brother, who won a national championship this season in in high school basketball. Really solid player. And then you know they got Mason Miller, who's Mike Miller, obviously NBA stud, stud at Florida. His son, 
He's coming in, 6'9", versatile forward. So you got, I mean, you got some, some interesting pieces that have not played a minute for Creighton that we'll see what happens, whether it's the foreign kids, the incoming class, and then whatever transfers they still fill with the scholarships they have to give. But, you know, as of right now, I don't know how you don't peg the four returners as the starters at this moment, again, at, on Sunday night, April 25th here. Sharif Mitchell at the point guard spot, Alex O'Connell and Antoine Jones on the wing, and then Kalkbrenner at the five. And then I don't know who you put at the four. Maybe it's Mason Miller. Maybe it's a transfer. Maybe it's Ken Slaris. Maybe it goes small and it's a guard. I don't know. Who knows? That's that's right now. Again, I think there there, there are going to be some transfers that get signed that will more than likely start. But, you know, I, I think the four returners are, are definitely going to be four of the five starters at this point. But it's just so hard because I don't know what you know what the the, the final roster is going to look like. How's that? How about that? Um All right, I'm going to combine a few questions because I got a kind of a long answer with this one. Um at Husker Tapes he says, I'd be interested to hear your opinion about the current slash short-term future status of the Creighton and Nebraska basketball programs and the Creighton-Nebraska series is Nebraska closing the gap. That's the first question. Then Aaron asked on Facebook, will Greg McDermott be able to sustainably recruit at a high level after his comments? Should Creighton have tried to hire Porter Moser? Okay. Lots to unpack with those two questions. And I'll answer both those questions next. But first, all right, let's take a quick break from the podcast to talk about White Castle Roofing. You know, one of the best decisions I've made was calling White Castle Roofing when my roof had some hail damage back in the day to my old house in Omaha. I needed experts. I needed people I can trust. That's White Castle. White Castle Roofing made the entire process so easy and so smooth, and they did a great job. They communicate every step of the way in their crews. They're knowledgeable. They care about the details, and cleanup is a top priority. So if you need experts, you can trust. White Castle Roofing is the answer. In fact, I'm dealing with a leak in my roof in my new house, and you know who I called immediately? Of course, White Castle. Ben from White Castle came to the house last week, took a look at things, and we already got the ball rolling on what to do next. When it comes to your roof, you need people you can trust, and trust me, you can trust the good people at White Castle. Check them out, whitecastleroofing.com. White Castle Roofing, built with trust, proven by time and the Nick Bob podcast is brought to you by my friends at Runza there is nothing better than hearing from an old high school football teammate like my former offensive lineman Brett Oltman on Twitter where he went out and he tried the Ruben Runza and loved it that's what I'm talking about baby and my dad my father he got his Ruben Runza game right he gave it two thumbs up again Ruben Runza is available at all Runza locations it's everything you love about a Ruben wrapped up inside the greatness of a Runza sandwich so make sure you stop out to Runza try the brand new Ruben Runza and speaking of Runzas don't forget that every Runza is made to order meaning you can add anything in the kitchen within reason to add on a Runza since everyone starts as an original Runza you can add pickles or ketchup or ranch whatever it is up to you so whether you get a Ruben Runza or get creative and add something to an original Runza, you know it's going to be delicious. So head out to Runza today, and while you're there, tell them your buddy, your pal, Nick Ba sent you. And the Nick Ba Podcast is brought to you by my friends at Pella Windows and Door. You know, when it's time to get a new set of windows or a new door, you got to go with Pella. Why? Because they can provide window and door solutions to any home. They can turn your window and door modeling dreams into a reality. And 
because the people are great. Vince and Steve and Clint and Brian, the whole gang, they are all fantastic. And you know what else is fantastic? Knowing that you're going to be working with Pella and only Pella the entire time. Do you realize that when you work with some other window companies, all of a sudden questions pop up, like who, who's going to install it? Who's going to pre-finish it? Who's doing that? And before you know it, you're working with like four or five different people. Oh my God, ugh. You want the convenience and simplicity of working with one company, not three or four. That is Pella. Check them out on the web, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Back to the podcast. All right. So, I mean, there was a, a two-part question. The, to, to the first part of the question, you know, uh, with, with at Husker Tape's question of, I'd be interested to hear your opinion about the current slash short-term future status of the Creighton Nebraska basketball programs and the Creighton Nebraska series. Is Nebraska closing the gap? I guess the first thing, like I got to word this right, like what, if anything, has sh- has shown anyone that Nebraska is closing the gap on the floor with Creighton recently? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, the last two games have been blowouts. Like the one two years ago was, was big time blowout. This last year, it was, it was tight until half and then the levee broke. And I just, I don't know. I look at Creighton's been really basically had their best two year run in program history the last two years. They, they just went to the Sweet 16. They have a Big East regular season championship banner. Meanwhile, Nebraska at one point lost 25 straight Big Ten games. Like, I don't know. Let's just call it like it is, right? Like, I mean, listen, I love Fred Hoiberg. I hope Nebraska gets it rolling because I love basketball and I'd love to see it. But, I mean, let's just let's, let's be honest here. I mean, I'm not trying to take a shot at Nebraska basketball and be negative towards us groups. I guess I just don't, like, even insinuating that. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't – I mean, I – Maybe if you're wanting to point to the drama with Greg McDermott and the fact that Creighton's going to be rebuilding a roster, like I, I kind of view that as separate as to to all this. But I just I don't in terms of closing the gap. I mean I don't. I, they got to show me something more than than I, they got to show me they're actually closing the gap, like on the court when they play. I mean, yeah, three years ago when James Palmer and all those guys, yeah, they beat Creighton at home. But that, I mean, other than that, you know, I mean, listen, it's well documented how Creighton's kind of dominated this series. So, and and I don't, I mean, at this point, I just, you know, I've I've said Nebraska's got some interesting pieces and all that stuff, and I believe Fred Hoiberg's going to get it done and all that stuff. But like, you still, you still got to go show it right before I I sit here and and say, oh yeah, closing the gap. Now, I mean, to again, I, I touched on the you know the drama with with uh, with Greg McDermott's comments in the locker room after the Xavier game, and then Creighton having to you know fill a brand new starting five. There, I want a couple of things with that. I, I'd be lying if I say I am concerned with recruiting right now for Creighton. It's been quiet as as hell, right? It's been quiet. And my guess is Creighton is getting crushed on the recruiting trail because of for Greg McDermott's comments. I bet I, I bet they're getting crushed. Recruiting is hard enough. It's cutthroat enough. You don't need any ammunition against you. And let's be honest, your coach using the term plantation is, a, is pretty easy ammo against you, right? And so, you know, I... I you can't help but wonder, okay, how big of a factor is this on the recruiting trail right now? Uh, I guess it's pretty big. It also doesn't help in the midst of all this that, you know, when you're having to be have all hands on deck re- recruiting in this moment, you lose two assistant coaches. So, 
maybe the the people they were tied into, you're trying to scramble a little bit. There's just a lot working against Creighton in the moment. So we'll see. I mean, I think I my guess is that Creighton's having a hard time on the recruiting trail because of Greg McDermott's comments. I mean, if, and if you're handcuffed in recruiting, good luck. Now, just because something is doesn't mean it always will be. Like, I think Greg McDermott can get past this, but it could be bumpy for a bit, and I think it's bumpy right now. And this is where the hires for these new assistants are huge. Now, there are reports that there's a new hire in Jalen Courtney Williams, who was at McNeese State. It's reported that he's going to fill Terrence Rencher's spot on the staff. Again, that's not a done deal yet, but it's it's that's, those are reports. He is a black coach, so his role is going to be enormous. I mean, that hire, th- this, these assistant coaching hires are huge. The ability to vouch for Greg McDermott and sell the program as a black man is going to be enormous. So he is going to be, he is going to be, ex- whoever, whoever fills this, that spot, it's going to be really, really important. But sticking, on, sticking with Creighton, you know, everyone is panicking. The entire starting five is leaving and all this stuff. I get it, man. Big holes to fill. But Greg McDermott has proven he can retool rosters and rebuild teams. Like in a, in a what a, a six year span, seven years, six seven year span, Greg McDermott has built three different top ten teams, three at Creighton, three. Oh, by the way, as they're transitioning up a level from the Missouri Valley to the Big East. He's built three different top 10 teams in a six or seven year span. You had Doug McDermott's crew. You had the Maurice Watson, Justin Patton, Marcus Foster, Kyrie, and that crew. They were 17-1 before Watson tore his ACL in the middle of January. They were top 10 at that time. Then you have this past crew, the past two years, Marcus Marcus Zagorowski, Mitch Ballock, Jefferson Mahoney, Tyshawn, that crew. Like, then this, like, Top 10. If there's anyone who has earned the benefit of the doubt on being able to rebuild slash reload, it is Greg McDermott. And I feel like people are forgetting that. People are like, oh, what's Creighton going to do? Uh, what, what, I mean, have, have you been under a rock for the last six or seven years? I mean, it's, it's not like... He hasn't rebuilt and retooled rosters before, and it's not like he hasn't replaced coaches either. He had to replace Darren DeVries. He had to replace Steve Lutz. He had to replace Patrick Sellers. He had to replace Preston Murphy. McDermott has hired three new assistant coaching hires since 2017. Al Huss replaced Steve Lutz. Paul Lusk replaced Darren DeVries. Terrence Rencher replaced Preston Murphy. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, this rebuilding the roster and hiring new coaches, it it really isn't new. And every time so far, Greg McDermott's come through. So forgive me for not completely freaking out here. And I don't know, a part of me is like, I don't see why more people don't see it that way. Now, I get that. I get that Greg McDermott's comments add a variable to this, I get that. But again, he's proven he can build numerous elite teams. And, you know, that's what's so interesting about 
you know, because our, our, you know, the question talked about should Creighton have hired Porter Moser. That's what's so interesting about Porter Moser and comparing him to Greg McDermott. And naturally, because Porter Moser is a Creighton grad, he played for the Blue Jays. He is one of those guys that's kind of always top of mind for Creighton fans whenever there's, hey, you know, what if that job opened up? Who would be potential candidates? All that stuff. And some people kind of yearn for Porter Moser. But here's something to think about when comparing Greg McDermott and Porter Moser. If you look at the totality of both careers, yes, Porter Moser has had more success with two deep runs in the NCAA tournament, one to the Final Four, than this year to the Sweet 16. But think about, but Porter Moser did that with one core group, that Cameron Crutwig-led group. He did it with one crew. He's had a lot of success with this one crew the last few seasons. And I I, I hate to take sh- a shot at like a fellow Blue Jay or whatever because I mean, he's like, guys, outside of that, he's had just an okay career. He was fired at Illinois State. He has spent his whole career at the mid-major level. Greg McDermott, meanwhile, took Northern Iowa to the NCAA tournament three times. He did struggle at Iowa State. Then has come to Creighton, reinvented himself, and has taken Creighton to six NCAA tournaments, navigated Creighton up a level to from the Valley to the Big East. Three different Big East tournament championship game appearances, one Big East regular season title, and now a trip to the Sweet 16. He's beat Alabama. He beat Cincinnati in the NCAA. I mean, he, he beat Louisiana Lafayette. Like, this guy has... Three now five NCAA tournament wins. So I guess what I'm saying is the the more proven coach in terms of building multiple NCAA tournament teams is Greg McDermott. And he's done it in the Big East, not just the Missouri Valley Conference. Again, at Creighton. This dude has built three top, three different top 10 teams in the past six, seven-year span. So, yes, Porter Moser has a, a Final Four under his belt. And that's a big thing to have under your belt. And, yes, he just went to the Sweet 16 and knocked off the number one seed, Illinois. But if we're looking at who has proven to be able to build multiple NCAA tournament rosters and sustain success for long stretches at even different spots in different conferences, Greg McDermott is vastly superior. But people are such prisoners of the moment and everything is so centered around the moment and about the NCAA tournament and making a run that people view Porter Moser like he is way better than Greg McDermott. And I just, I disagree. Now, that's not to say that I don't think Porter Moser is really good. I think he's, I, I like Porter Moser a lot. So I'm one of the best defensive coaches in the country. And the numbers speak for themselves. But if you ask me to pit the two against each other, I guess I just laid it out how I view it. So, no, I don't think Creighton should have hired Porter Moser. Listen, maybe one day, Porter Moser's now at Oklahoma. Be interested to see what kind of success he has there. Maybe in, I think I looked it up, Porter Moser's 52 years old, so he's still a relatively young guy. Maybe one day he'll be back in Omaha, and it'll be it'll be exciting, right? I mean, it's, again, just because I'm, I'm saying I prefer Greg McDermott doesn't mean I don't think Porter Moser could coach. I mean, listen, the guy's last couple of years at Loyola has 
got got that thing humming. But that's just how I kind of see all that. Walter on Twitter says, when will Nebraska finally get a quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over? Turnover margin, last season minus 11. Under Scott Frost, minus 16. Since joining the Big Ten, minus 53. Yeah. It is honestly, this tur- the turnover thing is honestly one of the most frustrating and maddening things over the past 10 to 12 years of Nebraska football. It really is. Because this isn't just a Frost thing. This goes back over a decade. Because it's almost like there's something in the water at Memorial Stadium or something like that that makes guys fumble and throw interceptions and all that stuff. Because from Bo Pelini and those guys, we all remember what the the seven turnover game against Iowa State back in 2009 to, to Mike Riley and his players from, to now Frost and all the quarterbacks we've seen during that time, Zach Lee, Cody Green, Taylor Martinez, Tommy Armstrong, Tanner Lee, Adrian Martinez, Luke McCaffrey for a stint. Like, all those guys turned it over a ton. And that's what's weird. That's different coaches, different offensive systems, different conferences, yet the same results. Lots of turnovers. And it's just, it's not just the quarterbacks. It's been the uh, issue for the running backs, wide receivers, all this stuff. It's really been bizarre. Dirk Chatlin wrote a huge long column deep diving the turnover issues at Nebraska a few years ago, and it was just jaw-dropping to, to look at the numbers from a turnover margin standpoint. So, I don't know, man. I mean, it's it's one of the biggest – it's it's the million-dollar question in some ways around Nebraska football the last decade. And so, to circle back to the question, like – Now, I do think a part of the turnovers is maybe running your quarterback a lot, especially recently with Martinez, Taylor Martinez back in the day as well. Like Tommy Armstrong, you run it, those guys, the more you run your quarterback, the more, more often than not, quarterbacks fumble running the ball at a higher rate than running backs do. And Nebraska's leaned on various quarterbacks at different times quite a bit. But I also bristle, as I say that out loud, I wanted to throw up in my mouth because it's not, I mean, Tommy Frazier. Eric Crouch, Scott Frost, those guys didn't necessarily fumble all the time. They were running all the time. So sometimes I think some of that stuff's like a it's it's a little bit of a cop out. Now, obviously it makes it hard when quarterbacks aren't getting hit in practice, and then all of a sudden they're live in a game, and so you're, you know, carrying the ball and obviously get popped, you cough it up a little more. But I don't know, man. I mean, it's obviously an issue that needs to get needs to get fixed. I mean, because, you know, you could zoom out in the moment to all the sloppiness as well you know like besides raw talent in a few spots pass rusher dynamic running back legit wide receiver threat more so than anything else the thing that will sink or swim Nebraska and Frost over the next few seasons is details and cleaning up the sloppiness and certainly turnovers fall into that category on Facebook uh, Jordan writes what is the weirdest dream you have had he says, I had a dream I was with Luke Skywalker in Walmart fighting stormtroopers. That's quite the dream right there. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't remember the weirdest dream I've had. Um, I will say that I, I do have, and I wonder if other any other athletes have these dreams. Like I have, a, I have reoccurring dreams about being late to basketball practice all the time. 
And it usually is because I can't find my ankle braces or I can't find my shoes. Like there's something little like that, like I can't find and I'm late. And so I don't know if it's a former player thing and years and years worth of getting to practice and the punishment for being late sticking in your subconscious or whatever it is, but like I have dreams that I am late for basketball practice all the time, like at least once a month. I have some dream where I'm late to practice and I'm just freaking out and I wake up in like a, a sweat. I mean, I wouldn't say the dreams, I call them nightmares. I'm just so stressed the whole time in my dream and I wake up stressed, it's awful. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me. Maybe a lot of former players have it. Like I'm the amount of times I am like I can't I can't I'm just late for practice. Can get there. It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. Steve on Facebook. Next question. He says, "Who should author the tell-all biography, the rise and fall of Husker football, all out of the rise and fall of Rome?" My bet would be Dirk. In all seriousness, I would love to know the true behind-the-scenes dysfunction that led to where we are. Like, I want to see top secret memos. That's from Steve. Listen, I'd, I mean, I'd, go, to, I'd go to the Nebraska bookstore. I'd go to Barnes & Noble. I'd, go, I'd buy that book right now if I could. And, and I get that I'm Nebraska born and raised and all that stuff. Like, I find Nebraska football endless, endlessly fascinating. I, I find I'm just fascinated by the program. Because if you really... Think it like there, there's really no reason Nebraska should have been good at football, right? Like they're not in a heavily populated area. They're not in a hotbed of recruiting. But they got the right people in place. They got the right plan in place. They committed to it. They made it a priority. And from 1970 to basically 2000-ish, basically a, a you know, a, a 30 to 40-year run, 30, 35-year run, they win five national titles and are the best college football program in the in the nation. And it's amazing. And then, poof, they blow up the business model. They blow up the plan. They remove the people involved. And, I mean... Firing Frank Solich, in all reality, they've Nebraska's never fully recovered from that moment. It's maddening. It's maddening. So obviously, I mean, the 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 book would be fascinating. As far as who would author the book, like I think Dirk Chatlin would have the best mind for it. I think he's maybe the best built writer for this story. But if you if we're if we're looking for someone that with firsthand knowledge, you probably got to go with whoever the elder statesman is of the group here has been around the longest because it's a long story to tell, right? Like, which my guess would be someone like Tom Chattel, maybe Mike Babcock. I mean, Steve Sipple would have a ton of interesting tidbits. What I want, I want all those writers to to get together and write a tell-all book. Of all the dysfunction, from Harvey Perlman to Steve Peterson to Sean Eichorst, I want all the juicy behind the scenes to all the crazy stuff with Bill Callahan and Mike Riley and Bo Pelini and the freakouts. I want it all. I mean, what Husker fan wouldn't buy that book, right? I'm in on it. I'm in on that book. Daylon 
on Facebook. Next question. I had to be selfish here and, and take an NBA question. But, but even if you're not an NBA fan, I think you'll enjoy this. He says, how do you fix the NBA from being four super teams that have a chance to win a title? A couple of good teams, and the rest have zero chance. Daylon, great question, man. Listen, I love the NBA. And when the playoffs come, my ass is going to watch like every game, okay? But that doesn't mean I don't see its flaws and its issues. I think I think the NBA has a handful of issues. I, mainly, I think the NBA has a continuity issue. And what's tough is, and this is kind of the same school of thought you could apply to the transfers for college sports and stuff. Like, I'm for player power and for the superstars doing what they want to do. It's their life. It's their career, right? But I don't think it's good for the sport long term for stars to be moving constantly and all the stars to be on like three or four teams. Like, I I don't think that's the long term for the league as a whole and the sports. I don't think that's great. Because the movement, I think we've we've it's amazing how quickly we've become used to it. We've become used to just stars changing teams and all this stuff. We just got we have come it's 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 over the last ten years, I mean, who I remember vividly where I was when the LeBron James decision happened, right? Now obviously he isn't the first star to leave, but it was he kind of like sparked all this stuff. I was at the Omaha Sports Academy getting ready to play in a summer league game. I was in like this lobby area by the concession stands and I watched it. Here we are 11 years later or whatever it is, 10 years later, and we're just used to it. We've gotten, we've, we've, we've conditioned ourselves. But the movement is crazy. Think about this. Just over the last three years, the following players have changed teams at least once. LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Chris Paul, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Jimmy Butler, Russell Westbrook, Blake Griffin, John Wall. I could go on and on, but I think you'll you get my point. Guys, that's the who's who of the league. Bron, KD, AD, Paul George, Chris Paul, Kyrie, Kawhi, James Harden. This MVP, like that's the who's who of the league. All those players have changed teams at least one time in the last three years. At least one time. Some have been on two teams, three different teams. I mean, that list I just threw out there, that's basically 10 or 11 of the 15, 16 best players in the NBA. All changing teams. And oftentimes to team up. I mean, we've I've lost track of some of those. Russ and Paul George, James Harden and Paul George, or, 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 or uh, James Harden and Chris Paul, LeBron and Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant and Golden State, Kevin Durant with Kyrie. Now James Harden is with Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Kawhi and Paul George. Like, like that's, that's crazy. And I think there are ramifications to that. I think it eats away at rivalries. And I think it eats at specific fan experiences. I actually think it suits the modern millennial fan who I think in some ways I because I'm not I don't live in an NBA city like I maybe fall into this category more than others but I think it suits the modern millennial fan who are fans of players and not teams. A lot of people are they're James Harden fans. They're not necessarily a Rockets fan. 
right? A lot of people are Kawhi Leonard fans. They're not necessarily Raptors fans. But I think that's an issue in some ways long-term, moving forward. Now, I think it all makes for interesting discussions when free agency hits and Woj is dropping bombs and all that stuff. But I, but to me, it just isn't as good of a product. Seeing rivalries of teams and 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 watching players and teams endure the tough times and stick together and and maybe find a way to prosper and win a title is way more enjoyable. It just is. What made the Chicago Bulls dynasty so much better and more enjoyable and so amazing to watch was the fact that they got their ass knocked down time and time again and couldn't get over the Detroit Pistons. But they stuck together, and they finally got past Detroit, and then they they were the top dogs. Again, I can be four-player power, but also acknowledge that, you know, to me, it's more enjoyable it, to me, it's not as enjoyable to watch and follow when there's this that much movement and all these teams, these super teams. Again, I'm like, I don't want to be that hypocrite. Like, I'm not going to watch. No, I'm going to watch. Like, I'm my ass going to watch. I'm going to be sitting watching all the playoff games. I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch basketball. I'm going to watch the NBA playoffs because I love, I love the NBA and I love basketball more than anything in the world. But I'm just pointing it out. And to Daylon's question about the structure of, you know, four teams who are just who have a legitimate chance of winning a title and then a few good teams and a bunch of teams got no prayer, how you fix that, I, it's going to be really hard. And I was thinking about this, this question. And in some ways, I think, I think one of the reasons we are now in this situation and discussing the current situation with the NBA, I think one of the reasons why it is like this now is because of it's because of us and Michael Jordan. I think it's because of Michael Jordan and us, the fans, consumers of the sport. Let me explain. I think it starts with, and I don't think people think about this. Michael Jordan created such an unrealistic, unattainable standard for players that it's made it brutal on the rest of the players that have followed him. If he's the standard, everybody's just not even close. Only dude that sniffs him is Braun. But because of Michael Jordan, we've kind of created this whole world where you either win a ring or you're a bum. We we being Twitter and NBA fans and these talking head debate shows, if you don't win a ring, you get crushed. You're a loser. And the reality is, we probably don't celebrate staying put and not leaving teams and sticking with the franchise for your whole career and not winning a title enough. So these, if you think about it, Think about it. These players are sitting there, and they're thinking to themselves, okay, all I hear is that I'm a bum if I don't win a ring, and I'm a bum because I haven't won a ring. But then I also kind of get crushed when I leave to try to go chase a ring. So what do I do? That's a tough spot, right? And I... 
I think a lot of players think, okay, I got to chase the ring to silence the Twitter mob, the Stephen A. Smiths, the Skip Baylesses of the world, because the reality is if I stay and don't win, the celebration of me staying won't offset or shut up the you're a bum because you have no ring crowd. Like, for instance, think about this. Let's say Damian Lillard stays in Portland for his whole career and never wins a title. But Paul George ends up winning one with the Clippers. After leaving Indiana to go to OKC and then leaving OKC to go to the Clippers. Which which guy is going to be more revered? Which player gets remembered and celebrated more? The reality is it's likely Paul George. Even though I like Damian Lillard a thousand times more. And the reality is Damian Lillard is a legend in Portland. But if he stays there and and doesn't win, he'll have to hear that you didn't win, win a ring, you ain't all that for the rest of his life. And listen, that's the nature of the beast, right? Boo-hoo. But that's a tough spot, man. That's why it's so hard. Like, it's like with LeBron James. I mean, he could have stayed in Cleveland all the way back with the decision back in 2010. He could have stayed, stayed in Cleveland. What if he stays in Cleveland and he, and, he, and he could have stayed there and never won a title? Instead, he left and he wins two titles with the Miami Heat. And then he ends up winning, coming back to the Cavs and wins one in Cleveland. Then he wins one with the, the Lakers. And now he's, got, now, he ends, now he's got four titles. And if he stays in Cleveland for his whole career and never wins, he gets crushed for not winning. Hell, the guy's got four titles and he still gets crushed by some people. It's just, I guess, how it is now. So I, I, I'm sorry, Dale. I guess I'm not really providing an answer to the question. I'm more so in providing an explanation to the current situation. Because it's, I don't know. Like, I don't, how do you combat stars from teaming up? How do you combat the, you know, the, the, the world we live in where, again, if you don't win a ring, you're a bum. How, how do you, I don't know how you spread the stars out across the league better. I don't, I don't know. I think somehow incentivizing stars to stay even more in some way, I don't know what that looks like. But, it, it, you know, it needs to be such – I know they've tried to structure their contracts where, you know, you, have a, you, you can make more money if you stay on the team that drafted you or whatever. But, you know, it needs to be a better situation for guys like, you know, Luka Doncic and Giannis to stay in Dallas and Milwaukee than leave for free agency. But the other thing that's hard and the way it's changed in, you know, in, from the, you know, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s is these guys, a lot of these players make so much money off the floor now that they can maybe make up some of that quote-unquote money lost for leaving and not sticking with their team with endorsements and other things, right? So it's, it's tough. It is tough. It really is. All right, I had to get my NBA question in there. We'll wrap it up there. Man, that was good. These these questions are always great, man. I love doing this. I mean, I could do like a mailbag once a week. You guys are the best. Appreciate everybody helping out with questions on Twitter and Facebook. Remind me, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page. Again, you can email me, nick at nickba.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Just crush that subscribe button. 
That way you don't uh, you you're not gonna miss any of the content we drop, man. Another mailbag pod in the books wouldn't be possible without you guys. I'm saluting you and I'm bowing to you. We will see you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runzo. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runzo. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.